Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Hey, uh, we had a little bit of time with our daughter Annika and her husband Dalton last week as well in Spokane area. Uh, I was uh, helping her with, she has bees as well, and I was helping her with them and we're driving somewhere and I started listening to her talk. She is being corrupted. She's starting to sound like an American. She didn't say, she didn't say A any time during our conversation. She said Americano instead of Americano. Like, we gotta up my prayer life. Like, when you're in the culture, you start to become like it, right? It's just like, so, uh, but, there's, but honestly, Annika's doing well, and, uh, and she and her husband, Dalton, are youth lead, leading youth in the church that they're a part of a church plant, and uh, it's exciting to see the next generation grab a hold of it, as Daniel said. Uh, the, and the way that we look at our young people is they're not our replacements, in other words, so we can tap out. There are reinforcements so that together we can do more, every generation doing our bit and our part, uh, together we can do more and see more for the kingdom of God, right? Reinforcements, not replacements. Um, as Annika's accent is changing, there's something, uh, when I travel to other nations, uh, I've had the opportunity to go to many different places around the world, um, I, I notice the accents of the people who speak English differently than we do. Some of you in the room as well speak it differently than me and I than you. So whether it's Ghanaian or Kenyan or Mexican or Thai or Southern U.S., they speak it English differently, and most of us do. I, but I do this terrible thing without even thinking, without engaging my brain, which is usually not a good thing, but slowly, almost imperceptibly, I notice that if I'm not super careful, I start mimicking the accent. I don't know if any of you do that, but it's not even good. It's bad. It's poor. And I end up sounding like a Russian Irishman with a splash of Spanish in there somewhere. It's terrible. And I hope that people don't notice, but they do. And <laughs> Just look at me and give me a nod. And I'm not trying to do it. I don't plan to do it. I, I certainly don't do it on the first day, but sometimes it shows up starting a little bit on the second day, but by the third or fourth day, I sound like a full-on idiot, uh, mimicking the accent because I'm not trying to do it. I'm just in the environment and I hear it again and again and I'm around people that speak it in a certain way and I start to, it starts happening. So I, unless I'm really disciplined, I start to become and sound like the culture that I'm in. So it's something like being the challenge of a Christ follower in the culture that we're in. If we're not very disciplined and careful, we start to sound like, look like, talk like, mimic the culture that we're in rather than the culture that we're of. Romans 12, 1 and 2 exhorts us. It says, do not conform. Somebody say conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Say transformed more than meets the eye, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And in the message translation, it says it this way, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, so readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to that. Unlike the culture around you, which is always dragging us down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and he develops well-formed maturity in you. And Paul reminds us that if we conform to the culture around us, we cannot be transformed by Jesus. We can be conformed or we can be transformed. We're either being more and more conformed or we're being more and more transformed. Not only will we not be transformed, but we will not be a transforming force for good and for God in the world. There we go. There's some music playing. It's... Somebody turn this off. It's Planet Boom, I think. It's pretty good. I don't know what's happening there. Just turn it off. The devil is taking over. It's not. Just turn it off. It's not... My face is completely red. We've been having troubles with the sound today. I think when all else fails, blame the devil. Like, it's just like, that has nothing to do with anything other than as you can see right now. So I'm gonna repeat that. Paul reminds us that if we conform to the culture around us, we cannot be transformed by the culture of the kingdom of God through Jesus. And what's even more uh, concerning is that the church, instead of transforming the culture around us, begins to be conformed to the culture around us, and the church is not really the church in those moments. Would it not still be true for the church of Jesus today that there's a continual push by the culture around us, you and on you and me, to conform, to look like, to talk like, to have the same values, to have the same morality, to have the same focus, to live like the prevailing culture around us? And when we conform to that culture, we fail to experience both personally and as the church generally, the transforming power of Jesus that we see in the Bible. We live in two worlds. We're to be in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We have an air hose going to another kingdom. It's like we have a, um, those guys who would, divers who would put on the full suit and they have an airline to the top and we could get dropped into the culture of the world, but our life force is not in this world. Our life force is the very presence and person of Jesus if you're a follower of him. But when we connect into the transforming power of Jesus, we begin to experience the life that scripture has for us. We begin to experience the hope that we need. We begin to experience the joy that we need. We begin to overcome like we need. We begin to experience the strength that we need. We begin to find the power that we need to live. And then the church begins to be the church in the world. The revival that we need is not out there, it's in here. The revival is not about the world around us first, it's about the church of Jesus first. Because when the church is the church, the church of Jesus, it moves with healing. Healing becomes a regular thing. The church of Jesus that is being transformed is a church that has an impact on human trafficking. The church of Jesus that is being moved by God and transformed by God sees widows helped and orphans helped. The church of 
Jesus lives and walks with integrity and kindness and gentleness when we have Jesus from the inside out moving. Transformed or conformed. Because what we're about, we've been talking about these seven churches in Revelation and Eugene Peterson, one of a great theologian said this, that each of these messages or each of these messages have one major purpose, to give spiritual direction for disciples of Jesus, how to live in the world, but not of the world. There's a battle for the soul and the power of the church. The enemy wants the church to be impotent and powerless and lifeless to have the name of Jesus, but not the power of Jesus. To, to talk about Jesus, but not to talk for Jesus. But the reality is we cannot be conformed and see the world transformed. We cannot be conformed and see our lives transformed. We cannot be conformed to the world and see our families transformed. We are only transformed when we go to Jesus. So we look at these seven churches and what's written about them. This is not written for us to be better people only so that God has less problems and he can correct us and we don't make any noise and we just be good little people, but it's so that we can be a transforming force for good and for God in the world as we are transformed from the inside out. We're going to, this is the longest letter to the church in Thyatira, so have a little patience. Um, here we go. To the angel of the church or the leader or the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Now you can see already there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of analogies going on. And so when John wrote this, he was writing from a prison and he was writing to the churches. And so all the letters would be written by, read by the prison censors. And so he's writing in language that they would know, but the guy reading it would just think it's a crackpot old man. But here he is. And he writes in this symbolic language to help us understand something. So nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her onto a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each according to your, her deeds. So. Uh, there where it says that he will suffer, that he's, he's gonna deal with the fruit of this. When he says, I'm gonna uh, strike her children dead, God, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna make sure that the fruit of this teaching that this woman is doing does not continue to produce. It does not move forward. God is not, Jesus is not coming to strike the children of this woman dead. She symbolically represents a teaching. Uh, she represents probably a person. And so he's speaking in language to say the fruit of her lips, the fruit of her life, I'm gonna deal with it. I'm gonna, it's gonna come to an end in my church. And so now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, oh, so then all the church, yeah. To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on any other burden on you except to hold on to what I have uh, until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give you authority over the nations. Then one will rule 
them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I've received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Whoever has ears, does anybody have ears? How will that person beside you? It's not sure. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is a message for the church. This is a message for us, the church of all time, the church in every generation, Jesus communicating to his church how to live in the world, but not of the world. Jesus, I pray that you give each of us ears to hear what you're saying to us, that you personalize this word for every person in the room, that we would not put up our deflector shields, our excuses shields, whatever reason that we would have to dodge and weave away from you, but we would allow you to come close and adjust us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. So here we are, seven churches representing all these churches all throughout the ages. And this is a Thyatira. It's an actual city uh, in what is now Turkey. And it was a prosperous commercial center. They had lots of uh, industry there. And they had what were called guilds, or might, we might call unions nowadays. They did all kinds of manufacturing and uh, marketing, and it was the hub for the, the empire of Rome in the province of Asia. And there were linen workers and people who made outer garments. There were people who dyed, uh, dyed wool and all kinds of things. There were leather workers and tanners and shoemakers and potters and bakers and slave dealers and bronze smiths and every kind of, of union, were, so to speak, was there. But here's what it was in Thyatira. These guilds were like union clothes shops of our day, but even more. Uh, one theologian, William Barclay, said this, that these trade guilds had common meals together, and the meal would begin, begin and end with a cup of wine poured out as an offering to a false god. And after that, there would be some in Thyatira, a sacrifice to the god Apollo, who was called the son of God or the son of Zeus. And Apollo was thought to be the divine guardian of the city and of the guilds. He was their source of power in their mind. And they also believed that the empire, emperor was an was a, a incarnation of that god Apollo. So this, and he was also called the son of God. Then very often the feast after that, they'd had their feast and it would degenerate into immorality, people sleeping with each other, all kinds of open sexual acts, uh, men with men, women with women, men and women, all kinds of at dinner, at the union meeting. Wow. And so as Katie noted last week, which she did a great job, if you haven't listened to it, go online and listen to it, I did, did a fantastic job. But as she noted last week, participating in these kind of things would open people up, and they still open you up, to spiritual demonic forces of darkness, deception, and bondage that lurk behind the idols. And so in verse 18, when Jesus calls himself, and this is the only place in all the letters that he calls himself the Son of God, he was going toe-to-toe with the God of that community. He wasn't afraid of Apollo, the so-called Son of God. Jesus is not afraid of those that would call themselves the most important ones. Jesus stood in Thyatira and said, I am the son of God. I am the one that I was he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. I am Jesus. I have eyes of fire. I have feet of like burnished bronze. And those feet like burnished bronze, they would have recognized eyes like fire. They would have recognized because of all the metal work that was going on there. Oh, this is an amazing thing. Jesus is above everything. Jesus is coming in a powerful, powerful way. But here he was 
If you wanted to be in the guild, you had to participate in these feasts. And it presented a major dilemma for those who were serious about their relationship with Jesus. Because membership, in order to sell your goods and participate and provide for your family, membership meant participation in all the social activities of the guilds. The idol worship, the sexual immorality, all the things that were going on, you had to participate in or not. So this was not just a commercial business decision. It was a question of loyalty. Which God will you serve? The son of God, so-called Apollo, the emperor, or the son of God, Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Who will have your heart? Who will I follow? Will it be Jesus or the leaders and the expectations of the culture as represented in the guilds? But pastor, I don't have to pay attention anymore because I am certainly not worshiping any idol in my backyard and I haven't eaten any food offered to an idol and I'm not sleeping around at the office Christmas party with anybody around. So you can move on, pray, and we are done. But it's far more than that. For you and me today, it brings us to a question because the Bible is timeless. Because everywhere in every generation, people are people. We have all the issues. So the question of, for today is, who will take precedence and control over all my everyday decisions? Will it be the values and priorities and spirit of the culture or will it be the values and priorities of the spirit of God? Will I follow the way of culture or will I follow the way of Christ? It can happen subtly to all of us. I've told you this before and some of you will have heard it. But there was a time where I made some beautiful waffles for my family and they looked amazing. They looked incredible, the best I had ever done. And they tasted terrible because they had one subtle thing wrong with them. Instead of sugar, I had put salt into them. They looked good, they smelled good and tasted terrible. It was one subtle thing wrong and it ruined the whole thing. Well, pastor, they, uh, these people didn't have to participate in it then. They just could not participate. Well, don't go to the event and let them do their thing. You keep making your linen and pottery or whatever it was and life goes on. But if you did not participate, the others in the guild would close you down by vehemently opposing you and looking for ways to remove you as competition. So conform or be canceled. And secondly, the guild believed that if you didn't participate, what's gonna happen is the success of the guild and everybody else around is gonna be endangered because you weren't submitting to the so-called son of God, Apollo. So conform or be canceled. Conform to an anti-God, immoral view of the world or you're gonna be expelled. You're gonna lose your job. You're gonna lose your income. You're gonna lose access to your life. You're gonna lose your position, maybe your home. You're gonna lose your status. What are you gonna do? and in the middle of this pressure that they were under. So that's all to understand what was happening in that moment. Jesus begins with a message of commendation for the church, not condemnation, commendation. I know your deeds, I know. 
And it says at the beginning of all these seven letters that Jesus walks among the church. Jesus is, think of it this morning, Jesus is literally walking among his church all over the world. He's walking in the room right now. The presence of God is here. And he commands, and he knows where you're at. He knows your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you're doing more than all you were doing at first. In other words, you're growing. You guys are doing excellent. If you got this on your report card, even your mom would be impressed. Then he says this word, nevertheless, or but. I need to correct you with some other issues. Now, before we get into this, this should be heartening to all of us. We rarely, if ever, have it all together. Sometimes we're like, yes, I am doing well. And then, then, then you wake up. You start your day and you realize, ah, I was doing well until I started living. We rarely, if ever, have it all together. And sometimes we're doing great in one area and not so well in another. And it's okay to not be okay all the time. It's okay to not be okay in every area of your life all at the same time. That's what the grace and the goodness of Jesus is for. So because of the grace of Jesus, there is room for both repentance and thankfulness in our lives at the same time. So Jesus comes with these eyes like flames of fire. He knows the deep things. He's nothing we can do or say or think that escapes his notice. And for some of us, we're like, "Ah, I don't know if I want that. But this image also comforts us because Jesus looks at me and looks through me to heal me. He comes to heal me. He comes to transform me. He comes to take me out of all the stuff that has conformed and set my life up to that point. He's not just coming to pop, pop, pop. He's coming to conform you more and more to the image of his son. Everything that you need Everything that God has for you is on the other side of his transforming work within you. So correction, when he comes, correction is not rejection. See, correction in our world today is so difficult because many of us have either A, never been corrected as children, and so we don't like it, or we were corrected harshly, and so we don't like it there. Not very often that... We experience it just how it needs to be. So I need to say this this morning, that correction by Jesus is not rejection from Jesus. Jesus loves us where we're at, but he loves us too much to let us stay where we're at because it's not good for us. Correction moves you from being conformed to being transformed. Correction is not done to you, it is done for you. To, to take you out of where you were, what you got, where the mess that we've all been in our life, the, the secret sin, the secret thing that binds us, the, the thing that we just wanna shake out of. Jesus comes to correct each and every one of us. If you think you are above correction, you need correction. We need to be corrected by Jesus so we can come out of what was and begin to step into what is and move forward into the future that he has prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. See, the hand of God is on your life, but there's an enemy that hates you and wants to conform you. But Jesus has come to transform you and correct you to, not about about just beating you up, but his correction is about protecting you and providing for you. And we see in this, so that's the context of his correction. And we see that this 
Thyatira church had this woman called Jezebel. We don't know if she, that was actually her name or if she just represented a teacher or teachers that were false teachers, false prophets within the church and saying a certain thing. But it was certainly a tie back to a woman in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 16 called Jezebel, who was the wife of a King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings of Israel. See, Ahab married this woman, but it was a marriage alliance that was forbidden by God because she was not a worshiper of God. And nevertheless, Ahab enters into it, probably for commercial reasons, because her dad, who was a king nearby, had access to two seaports at Tyre and Sidon, and through that marriage alliance of convenience, of compromise, he had access to made sense to him to make his kingdom be more prosperous. So he had a good reason. And usually that's what compromise is. It's a, it's a way that we can, by a shortcut, get what God's promised us in our own time and in our own way. And so she comes there and she introduces worship of Baal. It's the name of that God. And she promoted she was smart. She didn't say, get rid of your God. She said, you can worship both. You can worship Baal, and we said his name this morning, and Yahweh, it's fine. And so she kept going along. You don't have to choose. It's not either or, it's both of them. You can have both, it's fine. But she had this special knowledge, apparently, this lady in Thyatira, or this person that it represents, that says compromise is okay. You can go to the guilds. You can go to and partake of all of that. The grace of Jesus covers all of it. It's fine. He understands. It's okay if you sleep with all those people. It's okay that you, it's fine. Jesus has got this. It's, he's got you. It's okay. And so she promoted that and said, you can be a Christian and live like this, and it's fine. And it introduces this concept of compromise and compartmentalization, which I can live one way on Sunday and when I'm with people who follow Jesus, but when I step out of this environment or culture, I step into a different culture and I just go with that. Compartmentalize my life, different on Sunday than I am on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it might be. But she pulls them in, but she knew in the Old Testament the clear teaching of Elijah who thundered out, you can't have it both ways. How long are you going to sit on the fence, he said. And Jezebel said, no, no, Baal and Jesus, it's fine. But how does that relate to today? The prophets of Baal got their clues or their theology, if you will, about what was right and wrong by observing the world around them as it was before God created, or before uh, God created it, instead of reviewing it as how God created it before sin marred it. So Baal worship is basing your life on the way things seem or feel, not as they could or should be. In other words, it's the fallacy of thinking that because I have certain desires or feelings or drive, they must be right simply because they are or because I feel them. A direct quote almost of the theology of our culture today. And Jesus comes and says, not that way. Here's what Jesus says, because this is what people, this is how people might say, this is just the way I am. I feel this or I desire that. So that's what it is. I can fly off the handle a little bit, pastor. It's okay. It only happens that often. I don't hit them that much. I can get baked. It's fine. Jesus will forgive me. Or maybe I can watch this sexualized content. I don't do it that much and it's only on my holidays and doesn't everybody deserve a break? Or I can read that, it's, 
it's okay. Nobody knows. It's not hurting anything. Or I can do this job for cash and not pay taxes. It's not that big of a deal. I'm meddling now. It's not sin, pastor. It's my personality. It's because I'm Irish or Scottish or whatever. I can sleep with or mess around outside of a biblical marriage. It's fine. That's very old-fashioned to think otherwise, pastor. Or maybe this is a bit shady of a business proposition, but I live in the real world. This is fantasy. Settle down, pastor. No one really believes that stuff anymore anyway. It's not meant to be that strict. You don't understand, it's my choice. Jesus and me have have an understanding. Jesus and Baal have an understanding. It's what I feel. I have certain desires or, or feelings or drives or needs or personality. They must be right because that's what it is instead of what Jesus says. So we compromise and set, do we compromise and settle for being conformed rather than being transformed? Maybe I didn't say your compromise. It doesn't mean you're off the hook. You can let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Or do we miss God's ideal and settle for what we are real is right now rather than God's ideal? But what does Jesus teach us? See, this is what he says. He says, because of sin, our world, our humanity, our personalities even, our sexuality, all kinds of things have been impacted by sin. So it's not what we were originally created to be. Things have gone wrong. Some things are not as they should be. Some desires, some drives, some behaviors have been distorted and left alone can ruin our lives if we give in to them. We only know who we ought to be and what we ought to do from the words of God, the maker of heaven and earth, in whose image we are created. Not what culture says, not what my feelings say, not what my background has said, not what my experience has been, not what my pain has been. I am who Jesus says I am. I will do what Jesus said I will do. I will become who he's created me to be by the power, the transforming power of Jesus in me. I might have been conformed and prophet, and people spoke over me. You will only amount to this. You will only become this. This is who you are. But the transforming power of Jesus comes on the inside and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will quicken your mortal body. It will transform your thinking. It will reshape your, your attitude. He begins to correct and redirect because he loves us so very much. Do not conform through compromise, but be transformed through Jesus. See, com compromise distorts reality. When it's operating, we begin to see lies as true and, and truth as lies. Refuse to tolerate any voice that says to you, that says you can have Jesus on your terms. It's Jesus on his terms. That's the only way. It's not Jesus on your terms. I'll take this part of Jesus. I like this part. I like this part. I like the part where he does this and he's kind over here. I'm not so big on the part where he says, hey, neither do I condemn thee. I love that part, but go and sin no more. He's a, both. He is full of absolute love and he loves us so much that he will correct and redirect us. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave his life in the Second World War and the Nazis martyred him, he said this, the human heart has the capacity for only one all-encompassing, all-embracing allegiance. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't struggle in certain things. I heard this the other day, and it was so beautiful. Struggle means is a beautiful sign that you haven't quit. So do not minimize your struggle and say, well, I'm struggling here. Thank God you're struggling because you haven't quit. Thank God you're battling. Thank God you're in the fight still. Thank God that you got up again. Thank God that you stood up and said, I'm gonna dust myself off and keep moving in God. Thank God for the power of Christ within you that struggles with you, who helps you, who empowers you, who helps you to be overcomer, who's greater within you than anything that's in the world. Thank God you struggle. So next time you're struggling, say, I'm thanking God, because that means I haven't quit yet. I read this yesterday's, this idea of have no other gods before me. The implication is that we are a species made for worship. This is not by a secular person, but they were observing Christianity. They said, if we don't access the divine, we will worship the mundane. We'll worship the profane. We'll worship our identity. We'll worship our possessions. We'll worship our belongings. We'll worship the template laid down by a culture that wants to distract us from the divine that God created us for. Conform, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can become what God's called us to live and be. Tragically, when I com- compromise and conform, I show up more like Jesus, more like me than like Jesus. And the world does not need more me. The world needs more Jesus. So how do I respond? How do you respond? There's, you could preach for like three days out of Thyatira. So if I miss something that was your part, I probably have it in a note. I have like 15 pages of notes for this church alone and I got this little bit. So how do I respond? Verse 24, we see that the counsel to those believers of that church was repent. Those that had tolerated that wickedness, those that were participating in it, said repent, repent of your compromise. Repent of it and surrender to the will and the way of Jesus. Repent and surrender. The second one is, he goes on in verse 25, hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. And he warns against the universal principle that things always tend to degenerate. Things naturally go downhill unless there's great effort against those forces that like gravity seek to pull you down, against those forces that like pressure from the outside seek to conform us. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be a transformed. How are we holding fast? More than ever, if we don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world, which if you haven't noticed is going flipping crazy. But the people of God, our first response is, I need to repent and I need to let Jesus and hold fast to him so he can begin to change me first. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about what the world is, but our first response is, Jesus, I need your help. 
How are we holding fast? Am I holding fast in his powerful word? The word, Second Timothy says that the word of, or Hebrews says that the word of God is quick and powerful. Second Timothy 3.16 says that the word of God is, this is God's divine word and it's, it's useful for doctrine and reproof and, and training in righteousness and many other things. The word, do I spend any time in here? Because if I spend more more time in all these other mediums and I don't go to this one, it cannot transform me if I do not engage with it. Where am I at in my worship? Where am I at in my prayer? Where am I at in my obedience? Where am I at? And this is like, for all of us, I can guarantee that we all are on some kind of continuum. Some days we're at three out of 10 and other days we're like nine out of 10. Wherever we're at on it, we all desperately need the transforming power of Jesus from the inside out. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. I can't change one thing about my life, but Jesus within me, when I submit to him, he can begin to adjust my attitude. He can begin to change my ways. He can begin to give me the power, not just to forgive my sin, but to overcome the compromise that destroys my life, destroys my witness, robs me of the power of God, robs me of joy, robs me of hope, robs me of my purpose, robs the world of the best Craig that I need to be so that God can use me, God can use you, God can place you into situations that you are a powerhouse for him, that you begin to speak out things, you begin to prophesy in your workplace, you begin to speak over people hope, you begin to release the joy of the Lord, you begin to release for people and say, there is more for your life than what you've experienced, there is a God who loves you, there's a God who's called you, like, wouldn't it, think about it, of hundreds of people that were deployed into the city of Surrey and Langley and Burnaby and Vancouver and Richmond and are saying, God, I do not want to be conformed, but I want to be transformed so I can transform. I know that you have healed me. I want to be a healer. I know that you have saved me. I want to be one that helps to see people saved. I know that you have ransomed me. I want to be a part of seeing people ransomed. And we could go on and on and on. Wouldn't it be amazing to see what God has done in your life as a follower? of him be replicated in the life of someone else who is wondering if anybody knows that they exist, let alone that there's a God who loves them, has purpose for them. I do not want to be conformed, but I want to be transformed. I am meant to be transformed by holding fast to the way and the will of Jesus. He is the power. Because here's the reality, when I love and follow the will and way of me, nothing changes. I just get worse. When I love and follow the will and way of Jesus, everything changes. Back at the very beginning, it's a question of loyalty. Who will govern the day-to-day -day choices that I make? Yes, we can make it distracted by idols and worshiping idols and, and open sexual activity and all that kind of stuff for most of us. If that's your thing, there's hope for you as well. But it may be that it may be it's something a little bit more subtle. Do not conform to compromise, but be transformed through Jesus. There's a beautiful thing that he talks about receiving a reward. You'll rule with Jesus. In other words, the authority of Jesus comes on your life. And you step in, not as a victim, but as a powerful representative of Jesus in the here and now, but also one day in eternity. And it says you will receive the morning star. That morning star was the star that comes at the darkest time of the morning, that you see it show up. 
Jesus, a little later, I think it's in chapter 20 of Revelation, says, I'm the morning star. In other words, he says, you will receive me and my presence and power in an incredible way. That's the reward of standing. He who overcomes. So if you're a Christ follower, we don't have to compromise or conform through compromise. We're meant to access the power of the resurrected Christ living within us. His power is inside of you as a Christ follower. You can overcome. I can overcome. I can be changed. I can be transformed by the power of the risen Christ within me. And through him, transform the world and transform the situations that I'm in my world right now. Because where the transforming presence of Jesus is, there's hope, hope. Courage flows, faith flows, not because of me, but because of the Jesus in me. And let me say this, because sometimes in moments like this, it can be like, oh my gosh, it's so heavy. You've heard me say this before if you're around here. There's God's ideal where he's calling us to. There's your real where you're at. God's ideal, you're real. There's grace for the space. His grace pulls you up. His grace is continually changing you. His grace, so it's not condemnation, it's hope. He, correct, he loves me enough to correct me. He loves me enough to adjust me because he knows that the conforming kills me, but the transformation brings life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be today. You can start the journey of faith with Jesus today. Or if you've walked away from Jesus for a season and you're like, ah, I think I need to return to Jesus, to walking with him, he can begin to transform your life little bit by little bit, day by day, brick by brick, word by word, attitude by attitude, little by little, he changes us. How many of you could say, little by little, God's been changing me? It's the power of Jesus, little by little. Here a little, there a little. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can start that same journey of life transformation when you surrender your life to Jesus. I repent, and that means I was going this way, away from God, and I repent and say, I am turning around and moving towards God. And the fact is, as soon as you turn around, he's like right there. Someone said, no matter how long you've gone in the wrong direction, you can just always turn around. Change everything. I invite you to stand and we're gonna close. Do not conform through compromise, but be transformed through Jesus. I just invite you to bow your heads for a moment. Respond to the word of God. Do not conform, but be transformed. Do not conform through compromise, but be transformed through Jesus. As I was speaking, I believe that Holy Spirit, because he's just so good, that he would identify some things in each of us that might need some adjustment. So just bow your head for a moment. Keep eyes closed around you for the people around you privacy. If the Holy Spirit identified anything that he wants to adjust in your life, just throw your hand up real quick and I want to pray for you. Be brave. Come on. Yeah. Loads of hands all over the room. Thank you. 
So Father, I thank you for those that you've spoken to, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are resident within them. And thank you, Lord, as they hold fast to Jesus, as they, that you will begin the work of transformation within them, little bit by little bit. I pray that you give them boldness to share with somebody, maybe even that they came with. Say, God's identified something with me. I want you to help me. Here's what it is. How many of you heard the, heard the encouragement to stand fast, to hold fast? Hold fast. Yeah, yeah. Hold fast. So, Father, for people who are in situations where they need to hold fast, I pray for the undergirding of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the power of Jesus that is resident within his people to stand fast in situations that are difficult and strong, difficult and painful even right now by the power of Jesus. And finally, I want to give opportunity for anyone who has never surrendered their life to Jesus, talked about it, say, Pastor, today is my day. Today is the day of salvation. I want to surrender my life to Jesus for the very first time or recommit my life to him. Just throw your hand up and I want to pray with you. Father, I thank you. Thank you that your word is so clear. We repent. So Lord Jesus, for those that are making a decision to follow you for the first time or recommitting their life to you, I repent. We pray with them. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. Come and lead my life. I surrender my life to you. And I pray that you begin the process of a journey of transformation so that I can be more like you and be a force for good and for God in my world. Thank you that my past does not determine my future, but Jesus does. So Lord, for all of us, Lord, I pray that Horizon Church, that more and more that you would help us to not be conformed, but to be transformed by the power of Jesus, little bit by little bit, day by day, so that we can be all that you've called us to be as a family, as a group, as a called out ones in the middle of a world. And we pray for our world, Lord Jesus, that you would help it. Lord, we pray that where there's hopelessness, where there's despair, where there's people far from you, that you give us boldness and courage to be reaching beyond ourselves, to see your world changed and impacted, to see people come to know you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.